Welcome to To Every Generation, the broadcast ministry of Calvary Chapel Crossfields, located in Jamesburg, New Jersey, where we teach through the entire Bible, verse by verse, and make application to every generation so we can grow in our relationship with God. We're going to be in Luke chapter 24, starting in verse 13. So the last time the message was titled, He is Risen, and it was really neat. Got to look at the resurrection and uh, the fact of the resurrection. Christianity makes no sense at all, and nobody should follow it unless you've investigated the claims of Christ and found them to be true. You know, he said he would rise from the dead. Um, yeah, it's great. He did miracles. He healed people. But the biggest, most important thing that he did, and he even said, he came to die. So he came to die for our sins and then be, you know, cru- be crucified in that death, according to Leviticus 17, and then three days later to be raised. And that was the sign of the authenticity of his deity. So it's kind of neat. Um, so we got a few Sundays that in December we talked about. We got the Christmas play, the Christmas message. Uh, but when we come back and we finish Luke chapter 24, it's really neat because I'm going to talk about uh, even those that tried to discredit the resurrection many years later. Ridiculous stuff, sometimes centuries later. However, Roman historians who are ungodly, a lot of them, who were not believers in Christ, had no choice to admit that A, he existed, that B, he did miracles. And that C, his followers kept multiplying because so many said they had seen him. So you'd even take the Bible and you put it aside. You could look at secular history and there's just so much evidence in there, um, out there. You just got to look for it if it's something that you're interested in. Today the message is titled, He Desires a Personal Relationship. And really, you know, so he rose from the dead, now what? Did Jesus come to start a religion, a powerful religion? Nope. He came to uh, redeem us, to save our souls, save us from our sins, but also to have a walk with us through this life and the next. We even talk about that at the altar calls, the desire to walk with him through this life and through the next. So we're going to look at these in four parts, jumping in to verse 13. Now behold, two of them were traveling that same day. This is the day that Jesus rose from the dead to a village called Emmaus, which was seven miles from Jerusalem. And they talked together of all these things which had happened. Everybody in that area at that time understood that the Christ, this guy, for some who didn't know him, who did miracles, raised the dead, was now crucified. So it was while they conversed and reasoned that Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were restrained, so that they did not know him. And he said to them, What kind of conversation is this that you have with one another as you walk and are sad? That's cool. (laughs) And that's key. You're sad, right? Uh, So the Bible gives us a lot of details, and it really helps us to understand the framework and the context of what we're studying here. So one out of four is going the wrong way, right? Here we learn of two of Jesus' followers who are going the wrong way. They're going from Jerusalem to Emmaus. Jesus, while he was alive before the crucifixion, didn't say to go to Emmaus. 
uh, because they're disappointed. And folks, listen, people of faith do this today. They get disappointed. Things are not turning out the way they would like or hoped, and they end up getting on the wrong track. And I'm not criticizing anybody. It's the human condition. We can struggle emotionally and spiritually. But as we see through this passage, the Lord desires to get us right back on the right track. Amen? So Christ disguises His appearance and then engages them in conversation. My guess, and again, these questions come up. Pastor Joe, why? (laughs) I can guess. I can extrapolate. I could use conjecture, but I'm I'm not 100% sure. I believe that Jesus does not allow Himself to be viewed of who He is, the resurrected Christ, at first, because He's trying to get them to to seek out their own uh, understanding of what they knew before the crucifixion and come to the back to the right spiritual foundation and with that, get back on the right track. You know, sometimes we desire when we're going through something to counsel with somebody and we want them to have all the answers. But somebody who's doing it right will ask us questions back. They'll ask questions. Help us to understand and work through our problems. And that's what Jesus was trying to do with them. He was already God in the flesh. He had already resurrected. But He wanted them to work through what they should have known and not be distracted probably by His glorified body. So the Lord appears to the A-team. I say that facetiously because the A-team wasn't behaving like the A-team. And that's the beauty of the Scripture. We don't really read about uh, Cleopas before this. We don't know who the other person is. But God sees them so important that He personally appears to them and then He um, gives us this account so that we can be encouraged by it. There really is no A-team when it comes to the things of God. I don't, I'm not better than anybody here. I don't, you know, you can pray and and God could tell you something, figure something out that I I couldn't figure out. That's why as the body of Christ, we're really supposed to work together to use our spiritual gifts, to use as a church community to solve problems like what you just saw in the video and all the other things that we do in this church. Can't do it without the power of God. Amen? Amen. So the next time you think you're insignificant, remember what I said. (laughs) Or remember this passage. Verse 18, Then the one whose name was Cleopas answered and said to him, to Jesus, Are you the only stranger in Jerusalem? And have you not known the things which have happened there in these days? And he said to them, What things? (laughs) It's You know, I really believe God has a sense of humor. (laughs) So they said to him, the things concerning Jesus of Nazareth, who was a prophet mighty indeed in word before God and all the people, and how the chief priests and our rulers delivered him to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we were hoping that it was he who was going to redeem Israel. Indeed, besides all this, today is the third day since these things happened. Yes, and certain women of our company who arrived at the tomb early astonished us. When they did not find his body, they came saying that they had also seen a vision of angels who said he, Jesus, was alive. And certain of those who were with us went to the tomb, remember Peter and John going to the tomb, and found it just as the women had said, but him, but Jesus, they did not see. So two out of four is, how could you not know? (laughs) Right? You know, again, they don't know that that's actually Jesus they're speaking to, but everybody knows what happened. It's like, you're the only one. Were you living in a bubble? 
But it, of course, he knew everything was going on because it was him. So verse uh, 18, he says, Cleopas says to Jesus, are you the only stranger in Jerusalem regarding the crucifixion of Christ? Everybody knows what happened but you. In other words, it's common knowledge. It's common knowledge. 2,000 years later, that common knowledge is still available. And I was really blessed. (laughs) Sometimes people in the church will say to me, oh, I have this relative or I have this friend and I want to bring them to church, but they could be a little hostile and like they're trying to protect me. I'm like, I love difficult people. Really? I'm like one of those strange people. I love to win people. I love to win them, not to this church, but to Jesus Christ. We had a situation in the young adults group. We had about a dozen young adults and a young lady comes in and uh, turns out she's very educated and she starts the conversation. So she's kind of searching for the things of the Lord, but she's also, um, she has, she's sort of critical, right? She's investigating. She has questions about certain things. It was really cool, like just the back and forth and I kind of shared her with her some things in paleography and, you know, what the scriptures say and, and all that, some things she hadn't read. But I really, really had a good time. She really spiced up the Berean room on Thursday. Uh, but I, I basically said to her, what's being said here is that the information is widely available. They haven't scrubbed it yet. All you have to do is look for it. She actually took a book from a a Yale graduate who is an investigative journalist, Lee Strobel, who told his wife, this Christianity stuff, there's no such thing as Jesus. I'm setting out. This guy was a genius as far as the academic world. After about one to two years, he went on a quest. You know how many times this has happened? Different people. To disprove Christ, he becomes a believer himself because the evidence is out there. And it's interesting here, 2023, the United States, New Jersey, A lot of people don't know about Jesus, right? But the evidence is there. What could stand the test of time for 2,000 years? And we're in a totally different continent. So uh, uh, good stuff there, no doubt. Uh, Really, really something that we enjoyed. But So the, the followers talk about Christ being the Messiah and His crucifixion. But in verse 21, But we were hoping, but we were hoping, when God doesn't do what we want Him to do. You know, God, the things that didn't work out the way we thought it should work out. And folks, sometimes we do the same thing. He's God. He, it's His prerogative how things are going to work out. But um, you ever hear, it? and I've been at a prayer group as a young believer, a new believer, and, and like I, I opened my eyes, because you're supposed to have your eyes closed, right? And you hear somebody go, Dear Father in Heaven, now we know you're going to answer this prayer because it only makes sense. It's the right thing to do. It's like, almost like manipulating God. I don't know about you, but I've been in those prayer meetings and I'm, I'm like this and I'm like, is he for real? You know what I'm saying? <laughs> I said that in my mind. But we have to understand that you know, it, it, it's just he's... We, we don't completely understand His omniscience. We don't understand His omnipresence. We don't understand a lot of the omnis that He is. Uh, and we don't always understand what He does or doesn't do. And the same thing with Jesus' followers of the first century. Great, He's resurrected. Great. Some of our followers, 
you know, they're pretty honest people. Obviously, they followed Jesus. They said it. I want to see it from myself. I'm sort of paraphrasing. But we were hoping that he would vanquish Rome. We would hope that he would rise from the dead with a lot of fanfare and a lot of fireworks and just finally get rid of these oppressive Romans. But that wasn't the plan the first time, right? We are going to see in the second coming, everyone's going to know. Uh, There's going to be unmistakable when that happens. Three Sundays ago, Heather, Brad, and uh, James were doing worship, the song You Lead Me. I love the, I have some of the lyrics that I wrote down. And folks, you know, we try so hard in this church to make sure our lyrics are very God-centered, you know, because there's a, there's, a, there's a pull away from that. But it's nice to mix in how people interact when they're not exactly walking the way they should be walking or they're, they're struggling with their faith. Are we all perfect in this church? Of course we're not. So in the lyrics, the uh, person who wrote it, quote, believe it was Lauren Daigle, she said, I thought you, meaning God, turned your back on every hurt until I realized that you were going first, right? Another part, it says, I'm caught up in the storm of what I feel. I thought you were the sword, but you're the shield, right? And don't we sometimes go through life and go through difficulties and Listen, I've prayed many a prayer saying, Lord, I don't understand. I don't get what's going on right now. Help me to understand what your plan is. And that's the human, that's the, that's the journey that we have on this side of eternity, right? When we go to be in his presence, those things all gone. Everything's going to be, we're not going to have any issues anymore. So it isn't uncommon for us to not completely understand. There's a humorous meme where a person, you know, hypothetically is praying to God and the person is saying, God, why did you take me through such deep waters? And he looks at his follower and says, because your enemies can't swim, right? So there's things he just knows that we're just not privy to. Now, I could go on for hours with this particular part. Um, Sometimes people come to Christ and they think, my life is automatically going to become perfect. And I'm just going to be honest with you, that's not true. Now, you'll have somebody always walking with you through the storms of life. But Jesus even said, in this world you'll have tribulation. But be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. And that realization doesn't come until later. right? So verse 21, we were hoping maybe a disappointment with God. Right? That he was going to redeem Israel. The inference is that he didn't redeem Israel. However, the spirit and the soul, the first time, was more important than the physical creation. So something was happening that was not visible. He was doing a, God was doing a great work, but it was not necessarily something that was visible. And they didn't understand that. Do you realize that prayer uh, can save our lives? Right? Or I, let, let, me, let me back up. Let me, that's true. <laughs> let me back up. Unanswered prayer can save our lives. Right? Sometimes we pray for things to get in with a certain group of professionals, to get in with a certain, you know, somebody you're dating or whatever. And uh, we, we pray and pray and pray, and, and maybe it doesn't take place. Maybe that professional group are into things that are illegal. Now you got caught up in that storm. Right? 
So one of the points that were made even in the uh, young adults group was that God intervenes a lot. We just don't always see it. Right? I wonder when we get to heaven, and again, just like that hypothetical with that believer, God, how come this and how come that? And he says, son or daughter, let me sit you down. Let me show you all the things I protected you from. Those are the things we're not going to see on this side of eternity. So um, we, there is an element of trusting him. Absolutely. There's a phrase in the scripture that comes up a few times. It says that God gave them over to themselves. That's a frightening phrase. If we resist and push and resist, he gave, he gave us free will. We can go our own way. Honestly, I don't want God to let me give myself up to my, to, to my own devices. You know, I, I have to pray, I have to live my life, but I also have to trust God that He has everything covered to the end of the road. Amen? So, um, I just, you know, I was so looking forward to teaching this portion of Scripture because... You know, sometimes we talk about science, sometimes we talk about philosophy, debate. This is kind of one of those messages where through an interaction with the three, Christ and the two followers, we get to see things that can minister to our own souls. So when we leave here today, we can take this for the rest of the week because this stuff is powerful. And again, people read the Bible and think, oh, they were so perfect, I could never follow because I couldn't be like that. Well, obviously, as you can see, they weren't perfect, right? I don't know who's preaching that, but it's, it's not reality when you read the Scripture. Today, many want the crown, but they don't want the cross. Many want the victories, but they don't want the valleys. Many want the glory, but they don't want the gory. And sometimes life can be messy, can it? Right? Many times we want God to remove the storms. Instead of having God walk with us through the storms. Big difference. Big difference when you're watching the storm and it's just passing you up. And you're like, oh, awesome. But when it comes and it overtakes you and you're in the middle of it, right? That is more powerful of an experience when we get out to the other side and realize God was with, with me through the whole way. Pretty powerful stuff. So does it mean that... It negates God's goodness? Of course not. Does it mean He doesn't love us? Of course not. A lot of times we just need to pray, Lord, help me to be in line with Your will. Right now, something's happening. I don't quite understand it, but you know, I need Your help. Verse 22-24, through 24, He says, not only that, but there were witnesses. The account of uh, Peter and John, the account of the women, uh, but... Their, their attitude was, but, but we didn't see it. We didn't see it. So now we're grumbling and we're going to Emmaus. Right? You know, at the end of this passage, they turn around and they go right back to Jerusalem because Jesus convinces them, which He's good at doing. Verse 24, but they didn't see Him. Can we see electricity? I like working with electricity. Sometimes, whatever, I, I shouldn't, too, TMI, I, sometimes I work with whatever stuff live. See, I'm, in my mind, I'm saying, should I say that? Should I not say it? But, you know, you can say, I don't believe in electricity because I can't see it. Well, if you touch where the black wire is going and you touch where the white wire is going at the same time, you will notice that there is electricity. It is real. <laughs> you know, it's happened to me a few times. <laughs> now, I don't suggest you do it. This is all recorded. Pastor Joe didn't say to touch it. 
I'm saying don't touch it, but I'm saying if you do, this is going to be the result. The earth has an electromagnetic field that protects it from very harsh solar winds, radiation from the sun. We don't see that, but we feel the effects of it. Because the moment, if the Lord was to take away that electromagnetic field, those harsh solar winds would strip away our atmosphere. And we'd be in a lot of trouble right now. Can't see it. There's a lot of things we can't see, but still exist. And this is no different. Sometimes God reveals himself. Sometimes he doesn't. That's his prerogative. When we go to be with him, we'll see him for all of eternity. So um, again, just because it wasn't seen didn't mean that it didn't happen. As a matter of fact, in John chapter 20, and they call that one disciple Doubting Thomas because he even said to the rest, it's great that you saw the risen Christ, but unless I put my fingers in the wounds, I'm not going to believe. So Jesus appears to him. He puts his fingers in the wounds. And he says, my Lord and my God. My Lord and my God. Hakoriasmu hakayasmu. I think I got that right. Uh, he equates the Lord with God. And Jesus says to Thomas, well, you're blessed. You believe, but you saw. And he says, blessed are those who haven't seen, but yet believe. That's our blessing. For the last 2,000 years, people haven't necessarily seen, but they have believed because they weighed the evidence. And, you know, God showed them the right, the right road. Pretty, pretty neat stuff. Verse 25 continues. Then he said to them, O foolish ones, and slow... This is again in response to their unbelief. He says, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe in all that the prophets have spoken. Ought not the Christ who have suffered these things and to enter into his glory? And beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. So three, hidden in plain sight hidden in plain sight, which is sort of an oxymoron. But today, you can find it. If you want to find the truth about God, just do the research. Of course, the Bible is going to give you, because it's also a history book, it's, it's many things. But if you take the Bible and put it aside, even through history and archaeology and paleography, you can still prove the existence of God and what He's done for us. It's out there. It's literally hidden in plain sight. People just don't look for it. Um, we have a culture that all it does is go on and look at TikTok videos all day and there's algorithms and there's people who are controlling what we see and put, put, pitting us against each other and that's not knowledge. It isn't knowledge. Any of those videos could be doctored and they usually are. So hidden in plain sight, he says to be, they were foolish. They were unwise. They were sensual. Right? <clears throat> the beauty of God is He can correct us and it's like, oh, wow, yikes. He, look what he said, you foolish. But he also, after that correction, tries to get us back on that right foundation. He says, slow of heart or dull-hearted. Right? Jesus addresses the intellect and also the emotional areas. Are we slow of heart today? Are we hard-hearted? What usually causes that? Life, right? 2023... You know, you, you look at your leaders on TV. What are they talking about? Are they really concerned about the life that we live and the things we used to afford we can't afford? 
Are they concerned? Are we, are we looking for our hope in a political party or a, a philosophy? We're not going to find that hope there, right? But we can become hard-hearted because of the way life makes us. We can go through those trials and those painful things and become calloused in our hearts. But he wants to break through that and say, try another way. Right? God is always saying, trust me. Isaiah 1, let's reason together. Let's work through this to the believer. Verse 25, they should have believed all that the prophets had spoken. Now, a few Sundays ago, I read Isaiah 53 in its entirety. Now think about 700 B.C., roughly. Nobody fit that bill. That, was a, that passage was prophetic. It was highly revered by the Jewish people and one of the most major of the major prophets. And you ask people today who don't believe in Yeshua, you don't believe in Jesus, who is this? A lot, and a lot of people scratch their heads because they're, they're not enlightened of how Christ filled a lot of those paradoxes. So Isaiah 53 is powerful. And there's hundreds of them, but I'll just read another one. Isaiah 50, 6-7. through 7. Again, in context to the person who wrote it, these prophetic works, even the people who wrote it, First Peter tells us, a lot of times wrote it because God directed them to, but they didn't fully understand it because they were pre that period of time. It says, I gave my back to those who struck me and my cheeks to those who plucked out the beard. I did not hide my face from shame and spitting. Uh, for the Lord God will help me, therefore I will not be disgraced. Therefore I have set my face like a flint, and I know that I will not be ashamed. Who's that talking about? The beard being plucked? The spitting? The, this sort of scenario that the writer is writing that didn't happen to him? So again, you take hundreds of these together and you, you get the answer. Here's one. Daniel 9.26 Now, every, every Old Testament scholar who's a person of faith in Judaism says this is the countdown to when the Messiah would come, right? This was several centuries before B.C., before Christ came to the earth. And it says there were actually a period of years and days that would take place then when the Messiah should arrive. And that's why when Jesus started calling out who he was, actually John the Baptist spoke about him, that the disciples one by one and followers, it wasn't just the 12, there was hundreds of people that followed and they, they just dropped everything and everywhere he went, they went. It says, and, but after the 62 weeks, right, after this sp specific time period, the Messiah shall be cut off, which meant to be killed, but not for himself. That's uh, only a small part of the verse. He'll be cut off, but not for himself. That, so so you, if you're thinking, if your mind is wrapped around conquering Messiah, and then you say, wait a minute, he comes to the earth and he's killed? Well, he's a conqueror. He's going to vanquish whoever's there. He, but he's killed, but not for himself. Think about that. The Christ was killed. He was sacrificed, but not for himself. He did nothing wrong because of us, for our sins. These things made no sense to the people when they were written until Christ came. And again, there's hundreds of them. Um, Zechariah 12, they will look upon me whom they have pierced. This is a future occurrence. <laughs> wow. 
In verse 27, it says that he expounded them all the scriptures to expound, to explain thoroughly. Even today, false teachers, and you can flip through some of these channels um, on cable and see some of these, and, and some of these channels, I, I know my wife and I are fans of Dr. David Jeremiah. He's a great preacher. But then you, you go, it's like that one cadre, the one group of channels, and then there's another preacher. And they take one little nothing out of context and make a whole spin a whole sermon around it. it false, the false teachers, the prosperity gospel do this. You know, whatever you ask for, God will give you. You have to ask it in a certain way. And how many, it becomes a formula. Those people end up coming to this church because they're burnt out by a, a, a kind of a teaching, a false teaching that gets them to the point where they fail in life because we all fail at some point. They think that God doesn't love them. So it's almost like to, to un, it's almost like when somebody comes out of a cult, you have to show them the word show them that God loves them. And just because things happen in your life that are negative doesn't mean God's forgotten about you. That's what this whole passage is about, right? So um, it's, it's, it's right there. It's right there. And where am I? <laughs> Verse 27. But, it, but the bottom line is that this is, again, hidden in plain sight. Uh, there's a movement of some churches today that want to do away with the Old Testament. I don't understand that. I don't understand that. I've heard the preaching. Jesus right, spoke about Genesis. He spoke about Hosea. He spoke about Daniel. He spoke about Isaiah. Jesus, is, is if you followed Him in the first century, He would get you up to speed, not just in this passage, but His followers. He would put, Jeremiah, was, He would speak about all of these Old Testament prophecies. He would quote them verbatim. So how could, and this is just weird, how could churches today say, oh, we're, we don't believe in the Old Testament, it's not relevant. You have a problem when it comes to prophecy then. Because there are some prophecies that haven't been fulfilled yet. We have to take the, the whole, the entire counsel of God. As a matter of fact, if you go to a church that does that, it's very hard for you to come to the realization of Christ, His life, His suffering, His crucifixion, His resurrection, You've taken the whole Old Testament out of there, and that's a huge mistake. It's a huge... I don't, know why, I don't know why people do it. There's a lot of these new fancy ways that churches get to pack people into the building and get their money um, just to make people feel good, and maybe it's not politically correct, and so we're going we're gonna to let it go and for different things, for entertainment, for stuff like that, and that's a shame. You know, we have to stay the course. We have to go with what we know. We have to go with what's been tried and true for thousands of years that hasn't changed, right? It's, it was a joke for a while. It was a, maybe a, a decade ago. Every time uh, Resurrection Sunday was coming around, somebody would call up the news media and say, ah, oh, I've got proof that Jesus didn't exist. You know, and I had people call me frantic. I'm like, calm down. This happens every time in the spring. And I said, watch, just just." flesh it out it's going to be and we're going to cover some of that at, at the last part of the chapter these silly theories that come up and they, that what they realize is they hold no water at all people try it though stay the course stay the course last few verses 28 it says then they drew near to the village interesting conversation they drew near the village where they were going and he indicated that he would have gone farther but they constrained him 
saying, Abide with us, for it is toward evening, and the day is far spent. And he went in to stay with them. Now it came to pass, as he sat at the table with them, that he took bread, blessed it, he broke it, he gave it to them. Then their eyes were opened, and they knew him. Right? Now they know who he is. And he vanished from their sight. Then they said to one another, Did not our heart burn within us while he talked with us on the road and while he opened the scriptures to us? So they rose up that very hour and returned to Jerusalem. (laughs) Pretty neat. Now they're going in the right direction because the Lord helped them to get on the right direction. You know, what's funny is that Jesus literally helped them geographically and topography-wise get them on the right road. But he also can do that with us in our hearts, in our emotional state, in our spiritual state. Most importantly, Jesus' concern. American culture is concerned about what you look like. But Jesus is concerned about what is on the inside. He wants that part to be solid. right? And he wants to help us to get there, which is really the most important thing. So four out of four is an unforgettable koinonia. So here we have to almost talk about what's called etymology of words, how they, how they uh, sort of, you know, continue over time and how they can change. So the word, the Greek word is koinonia, and that can be translated a close relationship, communion. Now, sometime later, Jesus took that word and it took on new meaning. So koinonia, with little k, meant just like a, a closeness, personal. We're going to talk about that. But koinonia, big K, meant it's the right that Jesus wanted his believers to celebrate. Uh, ironically, coincidentally, not coincidentally, we're going to be partaking of koinonia or communion when the sermon is over. So we find the two men drawn to the Lord, not knowing it's him. Please stay with us. Tell us more. And folks, this is what happens even today when we exude Christ, when we're doing it right. And we don't always do it right. We don't always do it right. But when we exude Christ, uh, people are attracted to that. Because today many are hungry for something substantial because they're not getting it from philosophy, from TV, from the political class. They're just not getting Even now academia is all out of control, right? And they're fighting in Ivy League schools and there was a congressional hearing and, you know, too much learning. Sometimes, listen, I went to Rutgers for four years. I'm happy for the education I got. That was three decades ago. I was sharing that with a, one, a young couple once and I said, you know, because they were, I was trying to witness to this couple, right? And she had a shirt that said Rutgers. Oh, I said, I went there 30 years ago. You know what he said to me? He goes, did they exist 30 years back then? I'm like, I'm going to overlook that. Try, trying to feel the love here. Trying to say I'm old. <laughs> Dinosaur. It was funny. It was a great retort. But, you know, we started talking a little bit. I don't even know where I was going with that. Oh, I do. I do. I still have my bio, my astronomy book. I still have my, I love, you know, they're out of date because science is not fixed in a human's eyes. It's fixed in God's eyes. So they have to keep changing the additions when we make m- new discoveries. But, Today, these people are so educated, so smart, all these degrees, they don't have any common sense. You know, they can't decide what speech is hateful speech, genocide, you know, they can't 
anti-women. I mean, I don't know how you... I, I saw the hearings. I listened to it with my own ears and watched it with my own eyes. But um, it, it, education is great. I have an education, but it's, it, it's, it, we're mostly learning things that participate or that are germane to this world. God's knowledge, His science is, is eternal. And we're going to see that in the end. A lot of the garbage is going to be sloughed off and we're just going to know the important things that we need to know, not the false things. So, verse 29, they constrained them, which is a great thing. Verse 30, uh, was it communion with a small C or communion with a big C? So, I'm going to just throw this out there, is that it, it wasn't a full for three days yet since Jesus, prior to his arrest, you know, shared communion with his followers. To my knowledge, Cleopas and the unnamed person weren't there. So I believe that the right, and we're going to talk about that, came later. So I'm going to take that word koinonia and say in the strictest sense of the word, word they enjoyed, right? What's the, message, the title of today's message? He desires a personal relationship. And on the road, and then stopping off in a village, and then eating together, they were bonding with him. And then he was revealed to them. So there was that personal relationship. So that's what I think we're talking about here. The word is very interesting. Koin, uh, communion, koinonia in the, in the ancient Greek. And, and I'm just going to tell you when I did some research on the word. And Pastor Joe, why are you getting so hung up on this one word? The word means social intercourse. So in other words, it means the closest we can get to another person without getting physical with them. That's a big thing. You ever connect with somebody? You ever meet somebody and you just you start to talk and you know now it doesn't it really doesn't matter what they look like or what you thought based on fashion or whatever. Now you just have this bond with the person, sort of that koinonia. You're you're simpatico. You're you're you're, you're parallel with that person, and you know then you want to get to know them more. So you're, you're developing that koinonia. What Jesus did was. In communion, he wanted us to bond with him and also to other believers at the same time. But here, just by him being with them, they had this wonderful koinonia. It was unforgettable. Verse 31, after the koinonia, Jesus reveals himself. He, Jesus had a lot of work 40 days after the uh, resurrection, and then he ascends after the 40 days. But it's kind of neat because people ask the question, right? Pastor Joe, and again, these are, these are fun to play with, but are they important? Not really. So how did those two recognize Jesus? Was it, it could have been one of the three, it could have been all three. One, was it his mannerisms were recognized and remembered of the many times he spent with his followers prior to the crucifixion, right? You, ever, you, know, you, you, you know the people that you're very close to and they, they have idiosyncrasies, they have their mannerisms. Jesus's were all good, of course. Two, when he was breaking the bread, did they see the piercings? Oh, wow, it's him, you know? Maybe while they were walking the robe and they were, you know, walking and it was covering the piercings? We don't know. Three, did the Lord just feel it was time to remove the scales from their eyes? I don't know. <laughs> but it's fun to play with, isn't it? It goes back to this. He desires a personal relationship. Like the followers of the first century, let the Lord reach you on a deeper level this morning. And I believe that this message can be perfect timing. You know, God has not given me the ability to look at you and know what's going on in your life. 
you know and he knows. And there's a lot of things up here that we keep very guarded and very private. You could have come into this church and you're, you're going through something. A lot of people just show up at church because they're going through something. And they're hoping to be inspired by the message, knowing nothing about the church. Well, you're, in, you're blessed because we just use God's Word. So is it the stress of the commercialized Christmas season? Is it the com- coming winter and seasonal affective disorder? Pastor Joe, you're, you're starting to depress me now. <laughs> is it the economy and inflation, the division in our culture? Um, regardless of what it is, those are external circumstances. God wants that peace to rest in your heart. But the first way it has to happen is when you get to know Him, Romans 5, there's no more enmity with God when you believe and trust in Christ as your Savior. That's the first piece that have to, has to start the ceasefire. When we uh, sinned as a human race, we put up a block against God. So the first thing is to re- receive Christ. The second thing is to know Christ to the point where that peace washes over through our hearts and all of our understanding. Same Jesus who is patient with them will be patient with you. The same Jesus who restored these followers' fire wants to restore your fire. Christ desires an intimate relationship with you, not a rote religion where He's at arm's distance. Jesus will never give up on you. Don't give up on Him. You've been listening to To Every Generation from Calvary Chapel Crossfields. We meet for Bible study Wednesdays at 7 p.m. And Sunday service begins at 10.30 a.m. On Sundays, we have children's church for all ages, in addition to infant and nursery care. You can find out more about the ministry here at Calvary Chapel Crossfields by going to www.cccrossfields.org where you can also watch or listen to previous messages. If you have any questions or have a prayer request, please email us at contact at cccrossfields.org. Thanks for listening, and may God bless.